Have you ever wondered what it's like to witness a murder? Forrest grabbed the knife and then just stabbed Johnny in one motion. Or how it feels to be shot. I was immediately hit by a barrage of bullets. Or how you would react if your spouse hired someone to kill you. And he was to put me in a grave with a bullet wound on my head. These are the stories you'll hear on the podcast called What Was That Like? True stories told by the actual person who went through it. You'll hear from a stalking victim. Came back upstairs and when I came back and turned the corner into my room, I saw him standing there. You'll hear from a man who was kidnapped and tortured. I would do anything, say anything, to simply get away. And you'll hear actual 911 calls. Take a deep breath. Oh my God! Take a deep breath. Oh my God! Take a deep breath. Oh my God! Real people in unreal situations. Search for What Was That Like on any podcast app or at whatwasthatlike.com. Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino online. I was only playing for fun, so winning was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's favorite free online social casino. You too could have the chance to win life-changing cash prizes. Absolutely anybody could be like Mary. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumboCasino.com and play for free now. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice of the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of the winner. This podcast contains adult themes and language, and some of the things that we discuss may be disturbing to some listeners. In this podcast, we discuss sexual assault, torture, race, and murder. Listener discretion is advised. Everybody and welcome to Fruit Loop Season Two, Episode Twenty Eight. Oh my God, we're still doing this! Thank you so much for listening. <laughs> uh, Fruit Loops is a podcast about true crimes committed by people of color and their victims that we don't hear or know much about. Contrary to popular belief, not all serial killers are white dudes. There are many well-documented cases of serial killers of color, and Fruit Loops is a podcast all about them. We will take deep dives into the fascinating lives and crimes of serial killers and true crimes committed by people of color and their victims that the media and entertainment commonly leave out because, well, the news is racist, <laughs> allegedly. And we are Wendy and Beth. She's Wendy. I'm Beth. We're not journalists, investigators, or psychologists. Just a couple of gals interested in true crime. Also, the opinions expressed in this podcast are just that, our opinions. Please send any questions or comments to fruitloopspod at gmail.com or leave us a voicemail at 602-935-6294 and we may feature it on a future episode. 
Also, our website is fruitloopspod.com. Our Facebook page is Fruit Loops Pod. And our discussion group is Fruit Loops Pod Discussion on Facebook. We are also on Twitter and Instagram at Fruit Loops Pod. That's right. And if you want to support the show, you can send us a donation on the Cash app, which you can download to your phone or you can find online at cash.me forward slash dollar sign Fruit Loops Pod. Or you can become a monthly patron through our Podby patron page. We also have <laughs> some merch for sale on our website. Yes, at fruitloopspod.com forward slash merch. And if you can't help monetarily, no problem, y'all. You can always give us a five-star review on iTunes or anywhere else you get your podcast from. And be sure to share our show with your friends. Yeah. So, Ms. Beth. Yes. Who are we talking about today? Today, we are talking about Guy Georges, a French rapist and serial killer, active between 1991 and 1997. He was dubbed the Beast of Bastille due to the fact that several of his attacks occurred in Bastille, an East Parisian neighborhood. Uh, I'll get into this later, but boy, is the word beast like triggering for me because it's so racist. But anyway. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> How you doing? <laughs> so I'm I'm sorry to say this again because we've been talking about Game of Thrones like the last three episodes. So but I yes. am sad. I'm sad oh. that it's over. <laughs> Are you now? I knew okay. I would be. Okay. Yeah, I knew okay. I would be. Okay. And I am. And I don't really okay. know what to do with myself. I mean, as far as like looking forward to a TV show. There really okay. isn't any other TV show that I that I'm so obsessed with. But um, I'll be seeing my daughter and my grandson in a couple of weeks. So so that cheers me up. Well, that's exciting. That's great yeah. that the, that yeah. the fam dam is coming in. Um, I, too, watched the Game of Thrones uh, finale. And at, at first glance, I at, first of all, I, I watch all my TV shows on my cell phone. So I put up my phone and I'm like doing other things like, I don't know, wiping kids butts and uh, like clean washing dishes and stuff and shit like that. Like mom stuff when when I'm at home. Right, right. Um, and I have my headphones in and my, my kids are like, mommy, pay attention to me. I'm like, no, Game of Thrones is on. I can't touch you right now. Um, <laughs> but <laughs> um, <laughs> I was disappointed. Were you? Uh, and I, I in fact, I was so disappointed that I couldn't watch like the last 25 minutes i was just like fuck it i'm going to sleep Seriously? <laughs> yes and th- but then okay so i was having trouble sleeping so i woke up at like 11 30 midnight and i was like you know what i'm not doing anything else let me just let me just finish this episode so i, I watched the end and on further review like uh in terms of uh i listened to podcasts about the episode and so i listened to other people's takes and i went to twitter and saw other people's insights and they kind of made me think a little bit and i appreciated a little bit more and what it led me to do was go back and watch season 1 so i'm 5 episodes into season 1 oh, wow. again wow. which i watched i watched at the beginning years ago right yeah um, but now i'm like, now i'm i'm like already the, those first 5 episodes there's so many um foreshadowing things yes um yeah in in that first in that first season yeah th- there really is a lot of foreshadowing um but we just yeah. don't want to see it <laughs> we, we yeah but it, it made it. it it certainly made me feel better about oh okay so m- now my plan is to watch all the seasons 
up until the end. And then I, I'm thinking that I'll be more satisfied with how they wrapped it up at the end. Once, yeah. once I get, once I get there through the beginning. Yeah. And I think it's just bittersweet is what it is. So that too, that too. But yeah. as you said, there's going to be some spinoffs. Everybody keeps saying there's going to be spinoffs, which is exciting, but there are also more shows this summer that are, that are coming up. And I do enjoy the, the summer show season. So I, I think we'll be okay. I think I think we'll have. Oh yeah, our, I'll be our okay. eyeballs will be entertained. <laughs> <laughs> I, I'll be fine. I just you yeah. know, I it was something that I looked forward to, and now I don't. I'm like, oh, there's nothing to look forward. What now? To. What's next? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, I I totally get it. I totally get it. So how are you doing? Hey, thanks for asking, girl. I am good. I'm booked. I am busy. I am black and highly favored. Um, my kids had a soccer game on Friday and they're on the same team, which is really cute because uh, my that daughter is, is really small and my son is really tall. Um, but they won the game. And then Saturday, my daughter had a ballet recital and she did Aww. the fucking most. I mean, she literally... Aww told the Aww, show she was doing she was doing body roll like they get to do a solo oh like during their ballet thing and she was doing like body rolls and like kicks and twists and stuff i was like oh a dang like i don't remember like us practicing that but like she's a natural wow. uh, so it was it was cool um and then um one thing i wanted to share is that so we live in south phoenix which is a pretty black and brown area for now. We are being gentrified as we speak. Don't get me started because I won't be able to shut up about how much it pisses me off. But my my kids are lucky enough to go to school with and do activities with other black and brown and LGBTQ people. Um, for example, like my son's mom or my son's best friend has two moms. Um, and not one of the girls in my daughter's ballet class is white. Wow. And when my kids like go to swimming or, um, you know, do activities around town, there are no like like sw the swim lesson things. There are no white lifeguards <laughs> at the pools we <laughs> take my kids to. I had, I did not know that black and brown people could be lifeguards because I had never <laughs> seen one until I was in my 30s. Seriously. Wow. <laughs> and, and I love swimming, but I was certain that lifeguarding was just never going to be part of my story because I'd never seen one before. So right. my kids are so lucky that they get to do all this cool stuff with people who look like them. And I just think, yeah. man, oh man, they, I just think, man, the world is getting better slowly, but surely. So yeah, that's great. So now we are going to get into um, our mailbag and check on some listener letters uh and uh you know what there we go the angel oh there they are i was gonna say the angels <laughs> are right <laughs> yeah come on angels. thank you <laughs> so take it away beth <laughs> so we got a review by one of our listeners named tony mays and oh, the cool. title is friendship goals and she says, these two ladies are not only able to share the true crime cases involving POC that are less known, but they also have great chemistry. I love Culture Corner, which frankly should be a mandatory class for anyone that thinks they know. We just don't. <laughs> <laughs> we'll get into that more in this episode. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but mostly I just love the obvious affection that they have for each other. These two are proof that we women can have, need, meaningful, diverse friendships. They brighten my life. 
Oh wow. Thanks, Tony. Yeah. Yes. That's so Thank cool. You. Yeah. Tony, Tony, whenever I see the last name Mays, I'm like, Billy Mays here in my head. But she probably she's probably heard that a million times. <laughs> so <laughs> um, also great news, guys. All right. Get ready, because we just hit over 50,000 downloads. So Ooh. shout out. Shout out yeah. to the Police Pod Squad for listening to our show, for sticking with us, even through like our trials and tribulations <laughs> and just like rocking with us and telling your friends about our show and engaging with us all over social media, Facebook, our discussion group, Twitter and Instagram, all the things. We thank you so, so much. We can't do the show without you. So thank you. Um, yeah. We did get a lovely email that I did want to read from Sharice. Um, and she said, I really appreciate your show. I listen to about 30 true crime podcasts. Whoa. Wow. And I often find myself yelling at the phone because the hosts simply don't consider race and customs that are specific to particular races in their analysis of why criminals act the way they do. We were frustrated with that as well. So that's why yeah. we started Fruit Loops. Um, yep. So please continue to be a voice for women, women of color and white women who are allies like Beth. <laughs> in the fight against racism. Also, um, case suggestion, Vaughn Greenwood, a.k.a. The, the Skid Row Slasher. And side note, we have like this running document uh, with like cases, ideas, and suggestions. And keep them coming because we love them. But um, when I uh, hit control F on our case idea um, document, the Skid Row Slasher is on there like three or four times. And uh, so pe whoops. people have suggested him. Yeah, whoops. <laughs> and uh, so we we do obviously have to get into it and and, and dive yeah. into that, that motherfucker's case like right yep. away. So don't worry, we'll get there. <laughs> um, so hip hop air horn to you, Sister Sharice. <laughs> and so Beth. Tell us more about our subject today. Well, between 1991 and 1997, Guy Georges raped and killed seven women in the neighborhood of the revolutionary era Parisian prison, the Bastille. He has been called the East Paris serial killer or the Beast of Bastille. Now, I wanted to um, just sh shout out why we got into this guy in the first place. So it was my idea. Blame me. <laughs> but um, what intrigued my interest was I um, was listening to a show on NPR called Code Switch, and they were talking about um, racism towards black people and, and people of color in general in France. And um, it seemed to present itself differently than it does maybe in England or in Canada or here in in the United States. And so I was like, oh, I wonder if there's a, a black French serial killer that we could talk about. So that piqued my interest. And so we found the story of Guy. And so now we are bringing it to you. So let's let's get into Mr. Guy Georges uh, stats. OK, shall we? <laughs> All right. Well, Guy Georges, a.k.a. the Beast of Bastille, which I've already said is wildly racist because black <laughs> people throughout history have been referred to as beasts. But anyway, I digress. So this dude committed many, 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 many crimes throughout his life. And we, pro we, we will not. It will be impossible to get to all of them. But just a recap. He committed seven rapes and murders, three attempted strangulations. Three rapes slash stabbings slash strangulations and seven assaults slash attacks. Guy, 
um, and it looks like his name is Guy, but in French they say Guy, um, was committing crimes since the 70s. But the murders that we're going to talk about took place from January 24th, 1991 uh, to November 16th, 1997 in Paris, France. His MO was trapping women in their cars or forcing his way into their homes with a knife. He would also strangle them. He loved hunting beautiful white women, which is the Western world's worst nightmare. Yeah. His murder victims <laughs> were uh, Pascal Escaf. Es- oh, and uh, also, please forgive us on some of the pronunciations. We might like, we might fuck it up. So, we might mess that up. Just forgive us. Just forgive us ahead of time. We try. We try. So, Pascal Escarfe, she was 19. Uh, Catherine Roche, 27. Elsa Benadi, 22. Agnes Nijkamp, 33, Helene Frinking, 27, Magali Siroti, 19, Estelle Magd, 25, and that's all I got on my list. So uh, what do we got, Beth? What else? Uh, Well, a word about the names of some of the victims. The ones who were not murdered are often referred to by just a first name and a last initial. I'm not exactly sure why. But I think maybe in France, the press is not allowed to use the last name. Uh, But we don't have that information. All we have is the first name and the last initial. So that's what we use. So um, just to clear up any confusion about that. Yeah, probably lets them, you know, continue with their lives without being hounded by the press, maybe. I don't know. Yeah. So now we are going to dive into the setting. So this case takes place in the 1990s in Paris, France. And right off the, the rip, we have to hit you with some some background. So <clears throat> welcome to Culture Corner. <laughs> uh, racism <laughs> and white supremacy present a little bit differently in France than it does in the United States or England, as I mentioned. Um, I'm reminded of the quote from James Baldwin, famous uh, Black American author um, and activist, who, like many black intellectuals, left the United States during the Jim Crow era. And he said that he was never, ever in his whole life considered an American until he went to France, which is remarkable and not untrue of many of us today. In the U.S., he was always a nigger or a colored person. But in France, he was always just an American. And France is very proud of the fact that slavery was illegal there which I did not know until researching this episode. Um, However, (laughs) during slavery, if you were just to get on a hop on a little boat, hop, skip and a jump uh, to a French colony like Haiti or Guadeloupe or uh, Louisiana, which used to be a French colony before they sold it for like 50 cents, um, then there were lots of African slaves. So interesting stuff. So yeah, slavery in the colonies, but not in France. Right. Gotcha. Mm -hmm. Okay. So language is one of France's most prized possessions. The language to describe or refer to black people in France has evolved from la nigre or la negre, which is pejorative, racist, antiquated and associated with slavery. It's like the N word here. Le noir is a term that is more acceptable, but not completely acceptable for everyone. Uh, Not all black people like it. Another more modern word is block, spelled B-L-A-Q-U-E, which came from American Black people using the word in the 80s and 90s, which is acceptable for some Black people and not others. So it sounds like nobody likes any other words. 
<laughs> yeah, yeah, they just haven't come up with the perfect word. And I, I actually think that it's um not unlike here. Yeah, yeah. We we don't call people we don't call black people Negroes anymore or colored anymore. Um, African American kind of makes the hair on my um neck stand up. I think it's offensive. Yeah, which I always I always used to say African American because I was told that's the best word to use. And mm-hmm. um, then I talked to you and you hate it. So. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and 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 language is always changing and and I am a person who likes to learn how language evolves and what is the right thing to use, but some right. people of some generations don't like to change or oh, evolve yeah. or progress. Any, yeah. And we know those people. And <laughs> we yeah, we know one we or two, one or two or a thousand. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so uh but not not Fruit Loop Squad Squad. No, no, nope, no. Nope, nope, nope. <laughs> so <laughs> Um, so there are three to five and a half million black people in France. There are 4% to um, 8% of the entire population. The reason why the number is unclear is because it's illegal to collect data on ethnicity and race, which sounds great, right? But France it considers itself indivisible. In France, you aren't supposed to see yourself as black, brown, red, yellow, or white. You're just supposed to see yourself as a French person and there is no separating people. But clearly that's impossible. I mean, France is the one, they have a lot of explaining to do because they were the <laughs> ones who were like, they banned people wearing hijab swimsuits at, at, um, at beaches in France. Um, yeah. France does have, has had a few terror attacks and they're really quick to target brown people, black and brown people. And so they say they're indivisible. Yeah. And I think it's really impossible. (laughs) It is impossible to do. Yeah. Right. So if we understand that. To not see, you know, not see the differences. There you go. You, yeah, you, yeah, you, you got me. So we have to maybe just learn to appreciate the differences that we see and then then we can move on right and then move on yeah exactly and move on yeah but and we nobody seems to want to do do that so they're just pretending it's not there yeah exactly Uh, (laughs) skipping skipping through the racist tulips um so anyway (laughs) so um fun fact uh, the French dude who wrote The Three Musketeers was part black. I didn't know that. I didn't know that either. Other famous French black people are uh, Joachim Noah from the Chicago Bulls, uh, lion-ass b-baller Tony Parker. I don't <laughs> think I forgot what you did to Eva Longoria, <laughs> Mr. Parker. Uh, Vanessa James, the famous figure skater. I've talked about her in the past, how I admired her so much to see a black woman on the ice. And she was pretty dope. And also lay twins. So Beyonce just came out with her uh, documentary, which was fucking dope about Beachella and lay twins. If you're on Instagram, you know who lay twins are. Um, they're the greatest dancing duo to have ever lived. <laughs> uh, and they're the, the, do- the dopest hip hop dancers I have ever seen in my whole fucking life. I mean, oh, my God, the moves that they do. Anyway, check them out. Cool. Just, just Google them. So now we're going to get into the killer's early life. So hit it, Beth. (laughs) (laughs) 
So he was born Guy Rampion. And uh, as Wendy mentioned earlier, it's spelled G-U-Y, like Guy, but the French pronounce it as Guy, in mm-hmm. Vitré-le-François, Eastern France. Oh, you even got the funny accented C in there. <laughs> wow. Oh, Christy, you bet. <laughs> On October 15, 1962, to an American father and a French mother. Guy's father, George Cartwright, was a black man and a soldier who worked as a cook on the NATO bases. His mother, Helene, was white. His mother had a fascination with American soldiers, and she had another son with a soldier three years before Guy was born, and his name was Stefan. Mm. Like on Steve Urkel, remember? Do you remember when Stefan would step into the machine and then come out Stefan and Laura loved? Do you remember? And Laura was like, I never like, watched oh, that show. All the women were smitten. Oh my goodness. What was it, Family Matters? And Steve Urkel and his alter ego was Yeah, Stephane. my Stephane kids used to watch that, so- but I never, I never did. <laughs> Ooh, I mean, Stephane I would be doing other things while they were it. <laughs> Oh my goodness. Well, you were missing out because Stefan. Mm, Fine. Yes. Huh? Uh, so anyway, she eventually married a third different American soldier and moved to California where she lives today. Um, she took Stefan with her to the U.S. but left Guy in France and uh, still puzzled by that. But Helene's own, she came from a military family. Her her father was a retired NCO, had um, fostered Stefan until their daughter emigrated, but refused Guy. Uh, Stefan is white and Guy is black. So um, draw your own conclusions. Yeah. I have mine. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, and I found it interesting that uh, they were fostering Stefan, like Helene uh, was not a mother, apparently. <laughs> No, it doesn't. It sounds like she had other other like priorities. She had like, other priorities. Like, I think her I think her goal was to find a man who would support an American, an American man who would support her. Yeah, and and so, move to, and, and, to and, America. And and I I just have to say, so my mom was an immigrant. Um, I don't know why I say it like that, but anyway, when my mom <laughs> tells me stories about how they really believed that like the the streets of the United States were paved with gold and when she found out that they were going to move to the United States she she would do like this song and dance like oh we're going to move to the states and she would like kick her leg and like snap her fingers like states like she was so excited about the states <laughs> so anyway so maybe that's, so, that's yeah, where Helene I guess, was coming uh, from Helene was uh, like your states. mom yeah very yeah. excited about states. the states yeah, <laughs> so abandoned by both of his parents, uh, Guy was taken in by the DDASS, which is the French Social Welfare Service, and he was placed with a foster family at the age of six. Because he was abandoned, he was issued a new birth certificate with false details to prevent him from discovering his origins, which I guess is something Mm -hmm. that they would do in France at that time. I don't know if they still do, but he was then given the surname of Georges, presumably after his father, whose first name was George. Yeah, and I, I I don't know if they still do that today, but I know that at the time, other countries were adopting out abandoned children, including in Central America. And I, we've talked on the show about my buddy Joe, who oh, right, was right. 
um, adopted out to an American yeah. family and his papers were falsified. So his age was wrong. Mm. His like he knew wow. nothing. So um, it's it just it, for some reason that was allowed to fly at the time um, for hmm. foreign adoptions. So or and then and, and, uh, I think adoptions in general. And in yeah, crazy. Many places. So uh, Guy was taken in by the Morin family and grew up in a family of 12 adopted children and seven biological children. But the he was the only black kid. That is a lot of kids. <laughs> that is a ton of kids. That is a shit ton of kids. First of all, that's a lot to pop out of your vagina. Yeah. Um, and that's a lot like that's a lot to house like that. They must. They, I'm assuming they lived in a compound or like a mansion? Well, you know, sometimes families who foster a lot of kids, they don't foster them all at the same time, you know. Oh, um, they'll good point, they'll good take point. in some older kids and then they age out and then they'll take in some uh-huh. more. So they don't you're right. they're, they're not necessarily uh, have the, all of these kids at the same time. But that is a lot mm-hmm. of kids. That is a lot. That is a lot. And I guess she got the the Morin mom, Mama Morin got a lot of notoriety because oh she so great she takes in all these kids oh, whoa, 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 whoa. Right. so anyway as yeah. a child uh Guy liked to hunt for animals and kill them he reportedly enjoyed the hunt and not necessarily the kill we will see when we get into his crimes that the hunt and his intense desire for control is central to all of his crimes in 1976, when he was just 14 years old, Georges attempted to strangle one of his mentally disabled adoptive sisters, Rosalyn. Oh, boy. He was reprimanded, but nothing else was done. And then two years later, he attacked another of his adoptive sisters, Christiane, with an iron bar. Oh, Lord. She was badly injured, but managed to escape by biting him. Understandably concerned for the welfare of their family, the Morins arranged for Georges to return to the foster care system. Understandable, but here I go, Sad. feeling bad yeah. for the little boy that he was. I know. Um, yeah. So, but jo- but uh, Georges was unable to control his violent urges, and on February sixth, nineteen seventy nine, at the age of sixteen, he struck again. He followed a young woman, Pascal. See, from a bus stop and then attacked her in the woods. He knocked her to the ground and attempted to strangle her, but she managed to escape. Ooh, yay! He was arrested by police, but then released after one week. One week. One week. That's it. That's that's like a timeout for almost killing somebody. <laughs> <laughs> And I send a lot of I send a lot of little kids to the corner and to their rooms, and this crime ain't it. That. It just doesn't fit. Yeah. So yeah. Uh, George became increasingly depressed about his abandonment by all of his parental figures, and he turned to alcohol for solace. So now we're going to dive into the timeline with respect to his true crimes. So hit it, Beth. A year later, in May of 1980, when he was 17 years old, George attacked Jocelyn S. Later that month, he assaulted Rosalind C., stealing her handbag and then stabbing her in the face. He basically ripped her face open and both girls survived their attacks. And Georges was arrested once more and sent to prison for a year in Angier in the Loire region. So one of the hashtags I follow on Instagram is severe traumatic injuries. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> so that's one I, of them. <laughs> I saw, I saw a knife 
in somebody's eye on Instagram oh, that like no. a surgeon posted. Woo! I haven't been able to get it out of my head. <laughs> so oh my anyway, uh, hash, hashtag severe traumatic injuries. Um, anyway, upon his release from prison, Georges moved to Paris with a friend in 1981. There he lived in squats on the east side of the city and hung out with activists, addicts, and other misfits. He uh, committed petty crimes to survive. He drank excessively and befriended young people interested in left-wing politics. He spoke admiringly of his father, who he claimed was a NATO general and a war hero. He didn't know yet. Yeah, he he didn't know who his father was. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, <laughs> he was making shit up. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> According to some people who knew him at the time, he was charming and protective towards the women that he knew, and he had lots of girlfriends, and he was a pretty mm. good-looking guy as a younger Yeah, man. he was. I'll say. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. He has also been described as helpful, coherent, polite, and easygoing, and that he readily arbitrated in disputes between friends. He also did not identify with the average squatters. He was a squatter, too, but he saw them as, quote unquote, human wrecks. Uh, this is his narcissism showing, I think. Mm hmm. They're fucked up. Me. Yeah, not me. I'm fine. <laughs> I also read one article that described him as having a Belmondo style attitude. And I had What's no that? idea what that meant. Well, I Googled it. Okay. And apparently okay. there was a French actor in the 60s named Jean-Paul Belmondo, who is known for a particular style. It sounds to me kind of like a charming outlaw type of figure like Humphrey Bogart or James Dean. Oh, yeah, I've heard of James Dean. Yeah, not Humphrey Bogart? <laughs> no, I don't know who that is. <laughs> Are you serious? Yeah, no, I don't know who that is. I mean, I don't even oh want to like speculate. It sounds like a president's name, but I don't know. No, he was an actor. <laughs> he uh, In the old black and white films, he always had like a cigarette hanging out of his mouth. He played a lot of uh, like detectives and outlaws. Uh, he was always had an edge to him, you know. Anyway. Okay. <laughs> Okay. Oh, <laughs> now I'm feeling old. You know what? I'm gonna have to do some googling after this episode because <laughs> I I feel like I now and now I feel like I should know, but I just do. I, you know what? It's just not. It's not in my registry. So <laughs> I'm sorry, but thank you for filling oh, me okay. in on who Humphrey yeah, Bogart sure. is and what Belmondo style is. Come on, yeah, I know. <laughs> you know, it's like a cool guy who has a little mm. bit of an edge to him. Okay. Okay. Oh, and right. apparently well, he did tell people that he was a bank robber sometimes. <laughs> oh, oh, wow. Okay. <laughs> Which as far as I know, he never did. <laughs> All right. Gee, we see you. Okay. We see you. <laughs> uh, so it gets worse on November 16th, 1981, a month after his 19th birthday. Uh, Georges committed his first rape when he attacked a woman in the basement of her own building. He raped and stabbed Natalie C., who was 18, and left her for dead, but thankfully she survived. Then following a five-month prison term for theft, on June 7, 1982, Georges attacked a woman named Violet K., in a parking garage in the 16th arrondissement. Uh, so Paris is divided into 20 arrondissements, uh, which are basically districts, sort of like boroughs mm. in New York City. Mm -hmm. 
but they're numbered. Um, there are also more informal neighborhoods like Bastille or the Latin Quarter. And one neighborhood can span two arrondissements, or there can be two neighborhoods in one arrondissement, but they're, they're more informal. The, the formal uh, districts are the arrondissements. Okay. So, okay. Okay. Thank if you. If that makes sense. Yes. <laughs> yeah, no, I get it. It's like our district. Got it. <laughs> yes. So um, <laughs> he raped, stabbed, and strangled Violet Kay, but she managed to escape and went to police. And a few days later, Georges was arrested and sentenced to 18 months in prison. Okay. So he did a terrible crime and he got 18 months. Yep. I see you, France. Yep. Shortly after his release in February 1984, Georges attacked Pascal N., she was 21 years old in a parking garage. He raped and stabbed her, but she managed to break free and run away. Later that evening, police arrested George again. In 1985, he was sentenced at the Court of Assizes of Merth et Moselle to 10 years imprisonment. Due to good behavior towards the end of his sentence, George was allowed out of prison during the day but was required to report back each evening to spend the night. In January 1991, Guy traveled to Paris while on a day pass from prison. He was to return that evening, but he did not. And while in Paris, he noticed Pascal Escarfé, a pretty 19-year-old French literature student at the Sorbonne. Georges was attracted to the young woman with long blonde hair as she walked past the cafe where he was sitting. He followed her home, then forced his way into her apartment at Knife Point and bound her hands with adhesive tape. Not sure, but I think that's probably like duct tape. Yeah. He used his knife to cut off her clothes and then raped her. Afterwards, he looted the flat. He then became angry when Pascal kicked him. So he started suffocating her and then slit her throat. He drank a beer from her refrigerator and then headed back to prison like nothing happened. Okay, so on my list of like scariest things that ever could happen to me in my whole entire life, this one paragraph has all of this. This is it. Yeah, Somebody yeah. sneaking into your apartment at knife point, binding your hands with tape, cutting off your clothes, raping you, uh, looting your flat and taking your things, and then stealing my booze. Yeah. And then cutting my throat. Get out of yeah. here. What? No. Yeah. yeah, no, it's it's <laughs> it's all kinds of awful. All it kinds is. of awful. So on April 22nd in 1992, 18 days after his release from prison, he attacked and raped a woman named Eleanor D. She escaped and went to police who arrested George again. <laughs> Sorry, again. <laughs> he did it again. again. That's a big deal. <laughs> so he must have spent some time in prison because uh, the next one is January 1994. Guy attacked Catherine Rocher while she was leaving her car in an underground parking garage. He approached her with a hunting knife and forced her back into her car. He then cut her clothes off with the knife, raped her, and then stabbed her to death. He just mm. dumped her body on the pavement and then just walked <gasps> off. Oh, that's that's all kinds of awful. Yeah. On uh, January 13th, 1994, Annie L., a French radio host, was returning home late. Georges followed her inside her apartment building and pinned her to the ground. Annie L. managed to scream, but apparently nobody heard her. 
George threatened her with his knife and asked for her handbag. Then he forced her to perform oral sex. Afterwards, he ordered her to open the door of her apartment, but she replied that there was someone inside. He got up angrily and threw her jacket down the stairs. And then he went down the stairs to get the jacket. And uh, she (laughs) took the opportunity to go into her apartment and lock herself in. She immediately called the police, but Georges had fled the building and could not be found. Oh, my goodness. Okay. (laughs) Ten months later, on November 8th, 1994, Elsa Bende, 22 years old, who worked in a press office, parked in the parking garage of her building after a dinner with her fiancé and friends. Georges attacked her as she was leaving her car. She was raped and stabbed, and she was found in the back of her car. There were a lot of similarities between the murder of Elsa Benedi and Catherine Rocher, both of whom had been raped and killed at night in a parking garage inside their cars. And both of them had their clothes cut off. That was the thing he would do is cut cut yeah. the women's clothes off with a knife when he would rape them. Yeah. One month later, on December 9th, 1994, a 33-year-old Dutch interior designer, Agnes not sure how to pronounce this, but I'm going to say knee camp, had a drink with a friend and then went home. Georges entered the building after her, then followed her up the stairs and into her apartment. Did you know one out of six couples struggle with infertility, including old Whitey and me? Seriously, that is a staggering statistic that most people don't know or aren't ready to talk about. We need good data and information about our bodies in order to have informed conversations with our doctors and make the best decisions for ourselves and our futures. Good data and information about our bodies is crucial when it comes to our body autonomies, especially in the year of our Lord 2022. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And that's why Modern Fertility was created. It's an easy and affordable way to test your fertility hormones at home with a simple finger prick. Mail it in with a prepaid label and you'll get your personalized results within 10 days. Traditional testing can cost over $1,000, but Modern Fertility gets you the same info at a fraction of the price. And if you go to modernfertility.com fruit, you can get $20 off your test. Also, and this is really cool, mm. if you have an HSA or an FSA, you can put those dollars towards Modern Fertility. Wow! Oh, that's amazing. Yeah. Now, if you want kids today or in the future, never or are undecided, it's important to have clinically sound information about your body, which can help you make the decision that's right for you. Right now, Modern Fertility is offering our listeners $20 off the test when you go to modernfertility.com fruit. That means your test will cost $179 instead of the hundreds or thousands it could cost at a doctor's office. Get $20 off your fertility test when you go to modernfertility.com fruit. That's modernfertility.com fruit. Today's episode is brought to you by Best Fiends. It was a night like any other. We just finished a live show of the podcast at Madison Square Garden. It was nice to see Megan and Harry. You know, so nice of them to come. Then we told the pilot, hey, gas up the PJ. We out of here. Wait, gas up the PJ? Megan and Harry? (laughs) Just go with it, okay? Okay, okay. So, Wendy, we gassed up the PJ. And then what? Well, (laughs) while we were on the PJ, that's private jet for regular folks. I was wondering. We we were up in the clouds, scoring some quality time with Best Fiends. It was incredible. And the good news is, I'm on level 393. Right on. (laughs) Yes, it sounds incredible. But if your head's in the clouds like Wendy in an imaginary (laughs) private jet with Megan and Harry, or your feet are firmly planted on the ground at work or in line at the grocery store, one thing is true. Best Fiends is just plain fun. 
Mm, it is true. Now, Best Fiends is a free-to-download mobile puzzle game with thousands of exciting levels for new adventures and challenges every time you play. There are dozens of unique fiends to collect, so you can customize your team of fiends to defeat the menacing slugs. I'm sorry, I was just looking at this funny text from Harry. Anyway, power up your favorite fiends to new levels for even more powerful skills and watch them transform as they get stronger. With offline play, Wendy's favorite, you'll mm-hmm. never be stranded without fun, even if you lose your internet connection. Download your favorite getaway, Best Fiends, for free today on the App Store or Google Play. You'll even get $5 worth of in-game rewards when you reach level 5. That's friends without the R, Best Fiends. There he raped and killed her and left her body on her bed. June 1995. Elizabeth Ortega was threatened by Guy Georges carrying what she called the sort of knife you use to debone a leg of lamb. And I don't know anything about lambs, but maybe that means it's big. That sounds bad. Yeah. But she escaped from the ground floor window of her apartment before he could assault her. Unfortunately, her eyewitness description of the perpetrator was very inaccurate. Ortega spent weeks trying to help the police, but she failed to identify Georges when shown mugshots. And a computer photo fit picture using software developed by Scotland Yard confused the search even more by putting together an image resembling an Asian man. All right. Well, I I knew we'd get here eventually. This brings (laughs) up an interesting element to tech. So welcome to another installment of Culture Corner with Wendy and Beth. Let's talk about AI, shall we? And facial recognition technology and how racist it is. Um, I still can't get the water sensors in the bathrooms to sense my black hands. Anyway, recently, (laughs) San Francisco banned facial recognition technology. People of color uh, have known this for a long time, but non-PLCs are just new to this knowledge party. Most of the people who work in STEM and create these technologies are white males. So the tech they create is flawed because there aren't enough people in the room to provide diverse perspectives. So you get technology creating an Asian looking man when the perpetrator is clearly black in this case. Or a a facial recognition technology that um, doesn't recognize black and brown faces um, and confuses us and get it. and, and, And so people who aren't really perpetrators are getting snatched up by law enforcement because Yikes. the system is, 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 is messed is doesn't flawed. recognize yeah. does it's flawed. Um, or those trash ass x-ray machines at the airport that can't recognize cornrows or braids or afros or dreadlocks um, that are, you know, basically you go through this checkpoint at the airport and they don't recognize your dreadlocks or your, or, or your, your Afro. So you have to get patted down anyway. So it's, jeez. Oh, so we just need more black and brown people in STEM. So this doesn't happen. Yeah. Anyway. So go to school, get good grades, yeah. get good grades, <laughs> get in STEM. Even though it's hard. Cause yeah, you'll be the it. only black or brown person there, but do it. Yeah, we have do to it. open doors. Yes. On July 8th, 1995, Helene Frinking, 27, was walking home from a bachelorette party. She was seen at four o'clock in the morning, talking under the porch with a dark-skinned, dark-haired man. The witness thought they knew each other and paid no mind. But Georges took out his knife and threatened Helene with it. Once in her apartment, he gagged and tied her up, raped, and then murdered her. 
She was found lying on her bed, her clothes cut off and her hands tied. On August 25th, 1995, Melanie B, not Scary Spice, don't get her confused with the lady on America's Got Talent, was assaulted on the stairs of her Murray apartment building at Knife Point. George then ordered her to open the door of her apartment and she obeyed. Her boyfriend, who was watching television inside, got up and came to the door to greet her. And when George saw the man approaching, he fled. Whew, thank goodness. On September 26, 1997, Magali Cerati, a pretty 19-year-old student, was raped and murdered in her 19th arrondissement apartment. She was the only victim attacked in broad daylight. Georges mm. had followed her in the street, entered her building after her, then pushed her into her apartment. He tied her with shoelaces that he found in her home gagged her, then raped her. Finally, he cut her throat with a knife found in the kitchen. And this is the only one where they mention that he found these things in her home. And I think maybe it was a spur of the moment kind of thing and he wasn't prepared. And it was in the middle of the day. So it was different from the other attacks. Then he took some things with him and left the apartment at around seven o'clock. She was found by her fiance, who she was to marry the following year. The investigators did not find DNA, but the staging was the same as many of the other crimes. Hands tied, clothes cut, throat slit. You get it. On October 28, 1997, 25-year-old Valerie L., a commercial manager, was attacked with a knife on the stairs of her building in the 6th arrondissement after a night out with friends. Georges followed her into her building. And at the top of the stairs, he threatened her with his knife. He ordered her to shut up. But Valerie L. decided not to do that. Instead. <laughs> That's not, oh, this is exciting. <laughs> yeah, this is an exciting one. She sat down in front of her neighbor's door, protected her head with her hands, and then screamed her head off. <laughs> wow. Shout out to you, Go, my Valerie sis. L. Yeah. Woo! Why don't you come on over, Valerie? Hey. <laughs> All right. So, uh, George fled and Valerie L. locked herself in her apartment. Despite her screams, no one had appeared to help her. Ooh, that's not Yeah, good. that sucks. Yeah. But at least she scared him away. Yeah, at least at least she, she got away. So she called the police and described her attacker as a dark-skinned man with a shaved head. On November 16th, 1997, Estelle Magda, 25, was returning home around 3 a.m. after an evening out with friends. Again, Georges followed her into her building, threatened her with a knife, and entered her apartment. He tied her hands, cut off her clothes, raped her, and then slit her throat. So later it was found that DNA left by the killer matched the DNA at the scenes of the murders of Agnes Nijkamp and Helene Frinken and the assault of Elizabeth O. And this is the night, the mid nineties, right? So DNA yeah. is pretty new in the United States. It was pretty new. I don't know. They might've been using it, it a little bit longer than we had in, in Europe. So I think the first time that they ever used uh, DNA was in 1985. I mean, in the world, okay. it was in, in uh, England. Uh, so, oh. you know, by this time, 1997, you know, it had been, uh, 12 years i think it was becoming more common but uh it still wasn't like it is now right it's not what it is today but yeah. um shout out to the french people for like 
embracing the technology because clearly by now it helped. So um, now we are going to dive into the investigation. So take it away, Beth. At the time of the investigation, there were the 1995 bombings. The 1995 bombings in France were a series of attacks on public transport systems in Paris and Lyon metropolis and a school in Lyon. They were carried out by the armed Islamic group, uh, GIA, who were broadening the Algerian civil war to France. The attacks killed eight people, all of them in the first attack on July 25th, and injured about 157 people. And um, then there was the death of Princess Diana in 1995, 1997. So some people were saying that um, the police were distracted by trying to investigate these other like these other really serious crimes and sort of forgetting about these other murders that were going yeah that were happening time. in their city yeah, <laughs> yeah. as <laughs> yeah. just as an aside 1995 was a pretty interesting year the oj simpson trial uh the susan smith trial and the paul bernardo trial uh, paul bernardo was an infamous canadian serial killer they were all in 1995 Ooh. Whoa, it was yeah. a very good year. <laughs> uh, man, man, the 90s. Woo, boy, oh boy. Yeah, crazy times. Crazy times. <laughs> so misleading evidence also added to sloppy police work in which rival police squads, one trying to solve the murders in the apartments and the other working on those in the parking garages, failed to spot the link between the two series of killings, despite striking similarities. But once they did link them and they realized that they had a serial killer on their hands, they conducted the largest manhunt in France's history. The media frenzy surrounding the killings unleashed panic in the population of Paris. And in the press, Georges was dubbed the Beast of Bastille due to the fact that several of his attacks had occurred in the Bastille neighborhood. Again, I'm going to say the word beast is racist. Anyway, police had (laughs) DNA left at the crime scenes of four of the murders and one attempted rape. And when authorities finally connected the Bastille cases to George's DNA, they were embarrassed. They should have been to discover that his DNA profile had been on record for at least three years. George's had volunteered a DNA sample in 1995 after the second killing, for which he'd been a suspect, but the police had been unable to link it to the DNA left at all the crime scenes because they had no DNA data bank due to privacy concerns. Um, and the friends seemed to be pretty privatey McPriversons, even more private than Beth. Yeah. <laughs> and um, the... Um... DNA sample that they requested from him in 1995, they compared to a blood droplet that they found at the crime scene, which wasn't his. It was probably the victim's. So they didn't get a match mm-hmm. on that one. And then um, they didn't have a database, so they couldn't match it to the other samples. And, and right. they didn't think to do it. So <laughs> No. But when we know better, we do better, right? Yep, Shout yep. out to Maya Angelou. <laughs> 
<laughs> so once <laughs> once they did identify him, police spread throughout the city looking for him. He, you know, he's a squatter, so he didn't have a home. So they were looking everywhere. Mm-hmm. Uh, they finally mm-hmm. found him in Montmartre and arrested him on March 27th, 1998, for the rape and murder of Pascal Escarfay, Catherine Rocher, Elsa Benadi, and Agnes Niekamp. Georges' DNA matched the DNA found at all four crime scenes, as well as one attempted rape. Phew. Hey, Beth, I wanted to ask you, who you did it, you did it. But <laughs> I know that you've, you've been to Paris, and uh-huh. I was curious when, when you went. Was it in the 90s? No, it was in okay. 2005. Okay, okay. Never mind then. You don't have anything to do with this. Nope. <laughs> yeah, I didn't kill nobody. <laughs> nobody. All right. So, <laughs> so now <laughs> we are going to get into the arrest and the trial. Now, within 48 hours of his arrest in 1998, Georges confessed and gave police details of his first murder in 1991. And over the following months, he gave graphic details. <laughs> I love graphic details of the killings of five women in their Paris apartments and two women who had been raped and murdered in underground parking garages or garages. <laughs> garages. <laughs> In the garage. <laughs> in custody, Georges tried to escape in December of 2000. He and three cellmates attempted to saw through the bars of their cell, but were caught Ooh. by prison guards. Georges was then assessed by psychiatrists and declared legally sane and fit to stand trial. But at trial, which began on March 19th, 2001, he reversed course. And despite the fact that the prosecutor presented DNA evidence, as well as the confession given after his arrest, Georges decided to plead not guilty of all charges. He retracted his confession, claiming that police had tortured and beaten him to get it. And listen, I am no fan of law enforcement, and I know that they do this. So I wouldn't be surprised if they did. But there's a lot of evidence pointing to this guy. So um, he alleged that he had been framed by the French Secret Service because he supposedly stole an official limousine carrying confidential documents, (laughs) which I don't know where he got that from. But all right. All right, brother Guy. All right, brother Guy. (laughs) All right. So he was on trial for three weeks. There were 50 witnesses. And each day of the trial was devoted to each victim he was charged with killing. Eight days into the trial, he broke down and then confessed again. He admitted to the original four murders as well as to the rape and murder of Helena Frinking in 1995, Magali Cerati in 1997, and Estelle Magda in 1997, asking for forgiveness from the victims' families. After his arrest, the press referred to his origins as French West Indian, which he was not, um, and his father's real identity was not revealed until two years of interrogation ended. A disclosure that, according to some, had a profound effect on George's personality and self-confidence. George's had felt as though his birthright had been stolen, and when he found out who his father was, he felt reborn. And I just want to go back and say, 
Um, I don't know how they know that he wasn't French West Indian. And so I'm not willing to buy the white press identifying him as what he was if they didn't really know. So I'm just putting that out there. As somebody who has multiple origins, right, <laughs> I just right. don't, I don't like. Yeah, I'm not really sure where they got French, French West Indian because they didn't know who his yeah. father father was. Right. So they kind of made it up. <laughs> I think I think they did. I think they did. I think yeah. they did. And, and we talked about the, the French in the beginning. How everybody's supposed to be just French. Right. But there's more right, right, than right. that yeah. there. And so yeah. maybe there maybe the French press just isn't really good at um deciphering what the differences and the nuances in different people and different cultures are. Yeah, and um especially in the nineties. <laughs> I'm yeah. sure they yeah. weren't good at it then. <laughs> so I they might have just pulled it out of their French butts. And and <laughs> and they they thought they thought it was okay and uh it really wasn't. So we're just pointing out that it's not. Yeah. <laughs> so. <laughs> so in letters written to a girlfriend after his arrest, Georges referred to his admiration for the tiger, which he described as intelligent, powerful, resistant, careful, and adaptable. He claimed that he had climbed into a tiger's cage as a boy and caressed a tigress. Uh -huh. Because it showed huh? no hostility to me. I think that's a bunch of crap, too. Okay. But that's huh? the story he told. <laughs> okay. Okay. I'm, I'm blinking heavily. Because that's crazy. Yeah. Psychiatrists were particularly struck by this story. Pointing out that hunting in the wild and matters of animal behavior were constantly present in his conversations. And he showed an attraction to and fascination with domination and predation. Well, I just blinked my eyelashes clean off. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> what the fuck are you? Yeah, I, I don't know. Okay. I like tigers. All right. Um, let me. <laughs> Let me pick up my eyelashes. <laughs> and let me tell you about the time the Williams family went to that stupid ass wildlife preserve in oh, the middle yeah. of the state of Arizona. And yeah. we were attacked by <gasps> oh a God. tiger. Holy shit. Who my husband. So we were just do do do. And they have chain link fences, just chain link fences uh, with no barrier chain link fences in between wild animals and people and me and my, I just had a baby and I was never in my I, again I don't have any happy memories from that first year of when I had my daughter but um I do have this on video and um my, my husband is videoing this tiger who was hissing at us oh and gosh. uh then the hit then the tiger uh crouched down and my husband was like oh look he's taking it up and i was like no 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 old whitey i seen the lion king and he looks like he's about to pounce at us Ugh. and sure as shit that motherfucking tiger pounced at, oh the, my wind, God. at the chain link fence at us and chased us all along the fence until we Holy left his shit. entire area and i'm <laughs> running with the double the double stroller running oh with, with, with my kids. And all, this is this is why I want to be white someday because my husband was like totally unconcerned. 
<laughs> unbothered. Was he, was he like, laughing his ass off or what? He was, he, was, he was like, yeah, come back. The tiger's gone. It's okay. We have to go to the other exhibits. <laughs> I was like, like, get me the fuck out of here. Running to the car. Like, I, I was, again, in the double stroller with my big fat jiggly ass on the, on the film. Like, I, we are out of here. Kids, like, kids are... Kids, my kids are hanging out of the stroller. <laughs> like we just had to get out of we just had to get out of there. I love animals, but I did you know one out of six couples struggle with infertility, including old Whitey and me? Seriously, that is a staggering statistic yeah. that most people don't know or aren't ready to talk about. We need good data and information about our bodies in order to have informed conversations with our doctors and make the best decisions for ourselves and our futures. Good data and information about our bodies is crucial when it comes to our body autonomies, especially in the year of our Lord 2022. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and that's why Modern Fertility was created. It's an easy and affordable way to test your fertility hormones at home with a simple finger prick. Mail it in with a prepaid label and you'll get your personalized results within 10 days. Traditional testing can cost over $1,000, but Modern Fertility gets you the same info at a fraction of the price. And if you go to modernfertility.com fruit, you can get $20 off your test. Also, and this is really cool, mm. if you have an HSA or an FSA, you can put those dollars towards Modern Fertility. Wow! Wow, that's amazing. Yeah. Now, if you want kids today or in the future, never or are undecided, it's important to have clinically sound information about your body, which can help you make the decision that's right for you. Right now, Modern Fertility is offering our listeners $20 off the test when you go to modernfertility.com fruit. That means your test will cost $179 instead of the hundreds or thousands it could cost at a doctor's office. Get $20 off your fertility test when you go to modernfertility.com fruit. That's modernfertility.com fruit. I have uh, that changed my perception of tigers. So it just well, they're scary. He, yeah. he, he was talking about he was talking about how he liked tigers in this, and I just had to bring that up. I'm so sorry. I'm making this episode so long. <laughs> so <laughs> so <clears throat> so where are they now? Well, I will tell you. <laughs> Guy was sentenced to life in prison, but is eligible for parole in 2023, which is not that long away. Not very far, yeah. Not at all. Um, And he did a lot of bad stuff. It is uh, believed that he will never be released from prison as psychiatrists have described George, I I prefer calling him Guy, as a narcissistic psychopath and warned that his urge to kill could not be cured. Guy threatened to commit suicide in prison. And guess what? He's still alive. (laughs) And it's been a long time. (laughs) So Guy is still a suspect in a few other murders previously considered part of the Bastille series. His first defense attorney said he's at home in prison. He has his television, reads the newspapers, and receives visits from his friends from the squats who give him pocket money. Even the warders like him. Georges told psychiatrists that it was better I am in prison. Outside, I am dangerous. He has been diagnosed Mm. as hyper-adaptable, coloring himself Mm. to his environment. So basically a chameleon. His attorney Mm. found his behavior so disconcerting that he was glad when he received a letter from Guy dismissing him as his lawyer. In the letter, Mm. Guy blamed the murders on the laxity in the French prison system that diagnosed him as extremely dangerous 
and yet released him onto the streets without treatment, money, or meaningful care. And he has a point, although, you know, he did kill these people, but he does mm-hmm. have a point. Well, since I don't have any eyelashes that can fall off any further, um, <laughs> now my edges are snatched. <laughs> uh, that's crazy. <laughs> uh, all right, but let's move on. So uh, the senior woman superintendent in overall charge of the police inquiry was transferred to administrative work and the interior ministry blocks all requests to speak with her. The two detectives who led the field inquiry admitted privately to an unbearable weight of guilt for their failures. Well, hey, I'm not going to say it out loud, but you know what I'm thinking. My eyebrows are blinking. My, my, eye, and my, my eyelashless eyelashes are moving profusely. So you know how I feel. The intense focus on the case did have a positive effect in that this was the first case of using DNA evidence to convict a criminal in France. After the Georges case, the French Minister of Justice established the precedent of storing the DNA of all sex offenders in a national register. So now they do have a DNA database. That's progress. That's how we do it. Good job, guys. Yeah. All right. Okay. So hashtag to progress, things getting better and everybody getting better and being our best sexy selves. That's right. So um, now we're going to get into what we believe made the killer snap. So hit it, Beth. (laughs) So, um, you know, it was abandonment. Um, He said himself that he wasn't really motivated by sex, that it was something else, but he didn't know what. Um, he probably just wasn't self-aware enough to understand what, but he mm-hmm. apparently liked the hunt and being in control. And psychiatrists mm-hmm. have said that he was an incredibly angry guy and that it was the power and control that he craved, uh, I guess, because he felt out of control and powerless. Well, I can understand why. I mean, he didn't have yeah. very much of it growing up. Right. Um, and uh, we've seen enough Law & Order episodes to know that the crime of rape is not about sex at all. We understand that it's about power. It's about power and control. Um, Being abandoned by his mother probably did not help. And his crimes just escalated over time. Um, He was abandoned. As Beth said, he had no control of his being growing up, as we mentioned earlier and his acts of rape and murder. He was, he was able to achieve those feelings. Um, So now we are going to get into our takeaways, what we thought of the case. And let me tell you something. I was just thinking about the states that recently passed these trash ass abortion bans. And we've talked about in the past how about uh, two or three decades after Roe v. Wade passed, crime decreased. And I don't know if you'll notice this theme, but a lot of the serial killers that we've covered, like the prominent ones who got away with a lot of murders were sort of in that window before yeah. Roe v. Wade was able to take effect. And um, one can reasonably conclude, I think, that the reason is because the children born after 30 years after Roe v. Wade was passed 
was because they were born to parents who were able to care for them, who wanted them and, and loved them and could support them, um, which meant that they were less likely to be criminals. Um, cut to Guy, whose mother, father, and foster parents didn't want him. And one could argue he had no choice but to turn to a life of crime. Now, I don't know what happened to the other foster kids who were in his in his family unit, but this young, um, unwanted black child in particular is who we're talking about. It's also interesting to me how French people aren't supposed to see themselves as black or brown, only as French, but there is a history of uh, terrorism in France and the way the media portrays um, people who um, commit terror and are victims of terror in France and an element of how French white nationalism sort of runs parallel to all of that. And I'm a big fan of prison reform in the United States, but boy, oh boy, I'm looking at the prison sentences that this man received <laughs> and the fact that he could leave during the day and return at nighttime. <laughs> and he, <laughs> this ain't it, France. This yeah. is that was not it. France. Not really appropriate so. for these kinds of crimes. Nope. No. <laughs> so I had similar <laughs> thoughts regarding children who are unwanted. And we see uh-huh. it in almost all of the cases we cover. The murderer had what? Uh-huh. A terrible childhood. Yeah. Yes, and ma'am. I wish all the children were wanted and had loving, happy homes. And sure, there's adoption and the foster care system, but we see how often it fails. And I wish we as a society would spend more time and energy on helping out the children who are already born. I know that abortion is a very touchy subject, but I don't think that spending more time and energy on the kids who are already here should be. (laughs) No, it's no. Yeah, we need to get as many as we can taken care of. Um, Mm -hmm. And I wish they were more of a priority in our society. And I wish that the people who say that they're pro-life, I understand they they don't want any more abortions, but we we need to take care of the kids that are here. We need to take care of them. So I, yeah, I agree. And, 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 and again, I, I, um, I'm not going to I'm not going to sugarcoat how pro-life that I am. I've never had an abortion, but I know many people who have. Um, But I also know people who've been deported. I know people who've been um, put in uh, in my own family, family members who've been deported, family members who've been put in the federal um, prison system and um, children are affected by those things. Yeah. And so I think that um, if we're going to, I just think we might be compartmentalizing the wrong things yeah. um, in, in this argument. And I think that the only way through it is to just talk about it more. People are yeah. going to get upset and people are going to be offended. But the only way we're going to get through this is if we talk about it. Because if yeah. we're not hearing all of the voices that are relevant to this conversation, then... Uh, <laughs> not not we're a not conversation. Really, we're not really yeah. doing a good job. It's yeah. not a conversation, exactly. Right. So we need to talk to a lot of different people about this and what this means for everybody, so that we can pass some legislation that is um, helpful to everybody. Because at the yeah. end, right, government is supposed to be for the people. Help, yeah, be for the people.
that was a deep dive. Um, so now <laughs> we are going to get into how not to get murdered. So <clears throat> if you love true crime and you don't want to die, here's a tip for you. <laughs> This segment is not intended to be victim blaming. We thought of this segment because I read somewhere that a lot of people listen to true crime because they want to know what they can do to be safer. This is not meant to blame the victims. It's just learning from other people's mistakes. Sometimes we have no suggestions for a particular episode and we'll just offer up generic tips. That's right. So I wanted to share from Patrick Allen on lifehacker.com, five tips that may save your life in a knife attack. Because there was a lot of knife attacking in this episode. Yes, there was. uh, Which is my worst nightmare. So uh, he suggests stay mobile. Distance is your best ally against any contact weapon. So use your footwork to stay as far away as possible. Run if you can. Run away. Uh, place barriers between you and the attacker. Dr- knock stuff down. A barrier is anything your threat has to avoid or move around to get to you. This can be done by moving behind stationary or a moving object such as a park bench or a car or by physically placing an object again between you and the attacker such as a chair or a shopping cart. Um, if contact is made, do your best to protect your vital organs and arteries. Keep your hands up and guard your center line, which is encompasses your, your throat, your neck, your lungs, and your heart and your arteries. Don't get fixated on the weapon. Just focus on surviving, girl. Uh, yeah, yeah. Like the tip of a whip, the blade is the fastest moving piece of the attack. Train your eyes on the attacker's sternum because any movement of the arm will... Uh, originate with the upper torso. So allow your motion-sensitive peripheral vision to pick up on the movement of the blade and stay in the fight. There's a good chance you'll get cut. Don't focus on it. But it's so hard. (laughs) I don't want to get cut. I hate hate paper cuts. (laughs) But he says, he says, no matter what, fight through the end. You're not dead until the coroner says so. Which, whoo! Wow, that is so intense. You know what? Can't you just give me a poison and rob me later? Come on. <laughs> well, I promised if I try to kill you, I'll I'll use poison. I just don't want it to hurt. Come on. Okay. So Yeah. Poison poison weed with morphine or something. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Something good to make me feel good. And yeah, add some Vikings in there. <laughs> So those are great tips. Oh, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Let's move on to the next segment of our show, which is serial killer or crime news. And I did have uh, a mouthful. So get ready. Um, A man suspected of killing an 81 year old woman in Dallas was indicted on six additional murder charges in Dallas County and linked to five more deaths in Collin County this week. Billy Chemirmir, Chemirmir was 46 (laughs) posed as a caregiver for women across the metropolis metropolis like where superman's from metroplex 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 okay oh okay (laughs) metropolis metroplex before (laughs) killing metroplex before killing and robbing them sorry i'm just thinking you know billy chamir mirror at the (laughs) metropolis It does sound like a like an evil villain name from a, a DC comic. Yeah. Am I right? Am I right? Yeah. yeah. Uh, so, so 
He poses a caregiver for women before killing and robbing them. And according to police and court documents, uh, this is what he did. As of Tuesday, Chamirmir was accused of killing 12 elderly women and attempting to kill two others in the DFW. I think it's Dallas, Dallas Fort, Fort Worth yeah. area. Yep. Um, and also in Dallas, I wanted to point this out because I saw this all over my social media timeline and um, it's devastating. A, tr- a black trans woman who was attacked last week, and I think her story got some notoriety na- last week because she was attacked, but she was found dead today. Mm. So authorities are looking for the culprit. So if y'all know anything about crimes committed against this woman or anyone else from a voiceless, vulnerable community, um, that's that's when we need to call 911. Don't call 911 yeah. when people are like barbecuing in their front lawn. Don't call 911 yeah. if somebody's listening to some music. You don't need to call the police then. I, I, I Trust me, you will be all right. But somebody who's out there harming somebody like physically and taking their lives, those are the people we should call the police on. So if you know anything in Dallas or anywhere else throughout the Fruit Loops Pod Squad uh, University, what are we called? Anyway, I don't know. (laughs) But if you know anything, (laughs) you to be really helpful. Engaging law enforcement is when when these people's lives are at stake. So that's when you need to engage law enforcement. So let me sell my water and let me play my music. Amen. And barbecue in the park. (laughs) And let me barbecue in the park. Thank you very much, Patty. And let me swim with socks on. Okay. I don't need you to call the police because I'm black or brown in the swimming pool with socks on. It's not a big deal. Okay. Anyway. Uh, So now we're going to get into the part of our show where we shout out any content by people of color about people of color uh, LGBTQ women or any true crime goodies. So I wanted to, I felt like this was too important not to share. So if you're like, ew, gross politics, then you know what? Fast forward like 30, 45 seconds. But if you are about healthcare and women and people of color and LGBTQ communities, then please check out fuck gerrymandering. <laughs> we all know about the <laughs> fuck Jerry, uh, Instagram account which is trash, but fuck gerrymandering Um, that fights the efforts of Republican officials to rewrite districts and dilute the power of the voters who don't vote for them. And um, also consider donating to the ACLU, which are fighting back to protect health care and reproductive rights for everybody. Um, And so both of these organizations, you don't have to donate. You can donate like a dollar, (laughs) a dollar at a time. You don't have to donate very much. So a little bit makes a difference. So, yeah, it does. So what do you love it? So I just wanted to shout out a podcast called Bear Brook. I binged it over the weekend. Oh, you did. I did. It's about a cold case Mm. where some bodies were found in barrels in the woods of Mm -hmm. New Hampshire. Uh, They didn't know who they who they were for years and years and years. Um, And this Uh is the very first case in which DNA was used to identify a murderer through genealogy. Oh, wow. Even before the Golden State Killer. Oh, the Golden State (laughs) Killer case is the one that got all the attention, but this was the very first one. So it's, it's really interesting. Yeah. Oh, cool. 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 Thank you so much. Bear Brook. I will have to search for it on my podcast app and subscribe. Thank you so much, Beth. Sure. So 
where can the people find us? I'm so sorry this episode went so long. Blah, 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 blah. <laughs> our website is fruitloopspod.com. Our Facebook page is Fruit Loops Pod. And our discussion group is Fruit Loops Pod Discussion on Facebook. We are also on Twitter and Instagram at Fruit Loops Pod. And links to our sources will be in our footnotes. If you want to support the show, you can send us a donation on the Cash App, which you can download to your phone or you can find online at cash.me forward slash dollar sign Fruit Loops Pod, or you can become a monthly patron through our Podbean patron page. This will help us pay for things like our website and pod hosting. There's no minimum and no commitment. Even a dollar would help. We also have merch on our website now at fruitloopspod.com forward slash merch. See, mom, I have merch. Will you buy some? <laughs> anyway. <laughs> so this is a weekly podcast and new episodes drop every Thursday. So until next time, look alive, guys. It's crazy out there. Ohio is a land of mystery, from missing shipwrecks and lost treasure beneath her surface to strange phenomenon slicing through her skies, from myths that have evolved around historic events and people to the unsolved murders and disappearances that keep her communities wondering what happened. Find Ohio Mysteries on your favorite podcast app, and let's explore the inexplicable. OhioMysteries.com Hello, this is Dr. Grande, the host of True Crime Psychology and Personality. On my podcast, I explore and explain the pathology behind some of the most horrendous crimes and those who commit them. We discuss topics like narcissism, psychopathy, sociopathy, and antisocial personality disorder from a scientifically informed perspective. What is a narcissist? How do you spot a sociopath? What signs can you look for to protect yourself from these dangerous personalities? It's not just about the stories, but also the science and psychology behind them. So if you're interested in true crime or mental health, I'd encourage you to give my show a listen wherever you get podcasts.